Welcome to World Footprints Radio, the show where we celebrate responsible travel, culture, and heritage. Featuring your hosts, Tanya and Ian Fitzpatrick. Now, World Footprints Radio. Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in to World Footprints. We're the leading voice in socially responsible travel and lifestyle. I'm Tanya Fitzpatrick, and Ian and I have just arrived in Sochi, Russia, for the country's first ever Winter Paralympic Games. But before we left the United States, we caught up with a young journalism student who has just returned from the Olympic Games with her colleagues. And we also spoke to the U.S. Olympic Committee's Paralympic Chief, as well as an athlete who will be competing in Sochi. Thanks, dear. Sochi, Russia just celebrated a successful 22nd Winter Olympic Games, but today the city commences Russia's first-ever Paralympic Winter Games. Before leaving for Sochi, we sat down with a student journalist who had just returned from the Olympics to get some insights into what we could expect. The fanfare and excitement is far from over. I was impressed by the state of everything. I mean, the venues within Olympic Park were just great. Um, the train was great. You could tell that they had just recently redone that, and that goes from Olympic Park all the way up to Sochi and a couple of towns in between. But I was impressed by the state of everything. The Paralympic Games is a major international multi sport events involving athletes with a range of physical disabilities. The Paralympics are organized in tandem with the Olympic Games and follow within two weeks of the closing ceremony. Yet many are still unaware of the Paralympic Games or remain confused about the Paralympic Games' purpose. The Paralympic movement in the United States is really in its infancy, even though we've been participating in games since 1960. Um, Just up until a few years ago, it was led by disability organizations, individual disability organizations, that weren't even using the term Paralympics. The sport of curling gained a lot of media coverage during the Olympic Games, but it has long been a popular Paralympic Games event. We sat down with Paralympic Team USA champion curler Patrick McDonald to learn more about the sport. The field is basically just a really long rectangle, and um, like in Bocce, you have a point of target that you have to get... uh, I'm Ian Fitzpatrick, and this is World Footprints. Visit and connect with us at worldfootprints.com. The Black Sea Resort of Sochi just concluded a successful Winter Olympic Games, but the fanfare and excitement started again today with the opening ceremony of Russia's first-ever Paralympic Games. Prior to leaving for Sochi, we caught up with Taylor Imus, a Ball State University journalism student who shared her experience and offered us some helpful tips. So, Taylor, welcome back from Sochi. That had to have been exciting for you. It was an amazing experience. I mean, uh, we had definitely had our concerns before we left with everything that we had heard in the media about the state of the facilities there, but we were very, very pleasantly surprised, blown away by the security, and it was just a really, really fantastic trip, so a really great experience. So what took you to Sochi in the first place? Um, I went with my university. My university has a, a program called BSU at the Games, and it takes a group of journalism students to the Olympics to act as a freelance news agency and cover the Games. So I went with a group of about 28 other students over uh, for 10 days to cover the first half of the Olympic Games. And, and your university mean Ball State? 
Yes, Boston University in Muncie, Indiana. Okay. So, you know, a lot of people had not heard about Sochi until the IOC awarded um, the the city the uh, the games for this year. Had you heard about Sochi prior to the Olympics launching there? Um, I had heard when it was initially in the talks that that was where the IOC was going to have it. I had heard because that was Maria Sharapova's hometown. Mm-hmm. Um, I was a little bit more familiar with that, and I knew that she was a big advocate for having it there. So I was not familiar with uh, where it was in Russia, but I had heard the name, especially with all of the prep work that we did for BSU at the Games. Um, I was familiar with it, but I could never have identified it on a map. <laughs> okay. Had, had you been to Russia before? Was that your first time? It was my first time. And what expectations did you have? I mean, obviously there was a lot in the news prior to the games about um, security concerns, but did you hear any other things that either uh, excited you or gave you pause? Um, I personally had a – I'm an avid dog lover, so when I heard the news about the stray dogs in Sochi and especially the measures that were being taken to remove them from the city, that was really, really hard for me, and I – I was concerned about my ability to um, to perform and report in these conditions, but uh, it ended up really not being quite as bad. When the news had portrayed the dogs as actually being very aggressive and very violent, and the truth of the matter is, they're just they were pets that uh, that had to have been abandoned when their families were forced out for construction. So um, they were very friendly, so that made it a little bit better. And since the um, extermination, I guess for lack of a better word, has stopped. Um, that made me feel a little bit better. But as far as accommodations as well, we had heard, obviously, that things weren't ready, that they were there was trash everywhere. And from what we saw, I mean, from what they had put up uh, barriers for some of the areas that weren't done. The, but from what I had seen, I mean, I was I was impressed by the state of everything. I mean, the venues within Olympic Park were just great. Um, the train was great. You could tell that they had just recently redone that, and that goes from Olympic Park all the way up to Sochi and a couple of towns in between. But I was impressed by the state of everything. I mean, all things considered, it uh, there's a lot of work yet to be done. That I'm sure. I mean, they were continuing to work even while they were uh, while we were there. So I'm sure. Uh, you know, in the first week of March, they'll have even more done than when we were there. Mm-hmm. And so your overall impression it actually sounds um, like it was a positive experience for you. Yeah, I mean, we went into it with the idea that it was going to be more of an adventure than a, than a vacation. Um, so I think that mindset kind of got us in the right that we were we just were going for the adventure, and it was I'm very positive. The city of Sochi, um, which is about 30 to 45 minutes north of where the Olympics were actually held, was in much better condition. It uh, had been there, obviously, for a longer time and had more time to develop. Um, so that, I mean, that was fine. I had a great time when we were in Sochi, but... More towards where the Olympic Park was is where a lot of the construction was and uh, the spray-painted green-colored grass and uh, all of that. Hmm. You raised um, an interesting point earlier when you mentioned or talked about a lot of the displacement that took place in Sochi because of the construction. Uh, One would think that that would foster a little bit of resentment from uh, the local community. Did you feel any of that from locals? Um, to be honest, we felt the exact opposite. Uh, you know, as Americans going over there, we expected a sort of um, just discontent for us anyway. But people were, I mean, they were so excited to talk about the city, so excited to tell you where you should, you could eat or where places were to go shopping. Um, not a lot of English, especially in, in Adler. So 
that made things a little bit uh, a little bit difficult. But people are very very friendly. Um, we had talked to a couple people who had said that they were just really excited that so much light was on Sochi and that they, it had provided so many jobs for people that it was. They seemed to have a pretty overall good impression of it. Um, I think that people were a little bit wary as to what would happen after the games. Mm-hmm. Um, but during the games, people were just incredibly positive, very friendly, very willing to talk about their city and share their experiences. So that you raise another point. What is your impression about Sochi becoming a sustainable resort? I know that, uh, you know, uh, Vladimir Putin, his desire is to create a very active uh, ongoing resort community. Do you think that's possible from what you experienced? Um, I think it, I think definitely it would be doable. Um, getting there was really not as bad. I mean, we flew into Moscow and uh, about a two and a half hour flight maybe from Moscow to Sochi, if that. And it was the airport there in Sochi is great, and our where we stayed was about twenty minutes from the airport. So, um, getting there is really not a concern. I think that they do, like I said earlier, have some developmental uh, issues that they need to work out as far as the hotels and. Uh, really finalizing all of the stuff that they weren't able to get done before, but I definitely think that there is a huge draw, especially for tourists, to go and see all the see all of the Olympic venues and see the rings as they stand. But I think it could be done. I mean, the Black Sea is beautiful, and the beaches, uh, the rocks there are just insane. All the minerals, so I think it definitely has the potential. Uh, they need a little bit more work and a little bit more to develop uh, some of the shopping centers there, but. I think it definitely has a very strong potential to be a tourist destination in the future. Mm-hmm. Where did you stay? Were you in the mountain cluster or the coastal cluster? We actually had a, a little bit of a unique situation that ended up working out really well. Um, we stayed on cruise ships that were docked at the port of Adler, so we weren't in any of the uh, hotels that weren't finished. They were trading light bulbs for doorknobs, but we were we were on a cruise ship, so we really got. Um, Probably the best uh, best accommodations, with, except for the athletes. Um, but it was great. I mean, it's a very very walkable city. So I mean, you take the train, you walk to the train. Um, you can walk to all sorts of different restaurants. The park is very very walkable. So it was. Um, we had great accommodations in a great location. Wow, it sounds it sounds ideal. Um, yeah. Now, did you did you uh, were you able to do any skiing? Did they have any slopes that were reserved for uh, travelers, tourists coming in for the games? Not that I'm aware of during this time. I know that when uh, I didn't get I didn't get to go up to the mountains, unfortunately, but we had team members who went up there and said that they were talking to volunteers up in the area because there's that small little town up there. And they said that the goal would be to have um, the actual slopes that the Olympics were on um, hopefully turned into somewhere that tourists could go. So not only do you get the novelty of skiing on an Olympic uh, slope, but uh, they're very pretty. I know that they had some issues with snow at this time of year, um, keeping the snow fresh, I guess. Um, so that's a challenge that they'd have to overcome, but I think that they kind of worked out a lot of those kinks for this event. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I know that there is talk of turning at least a portion of the actual Olympic slopes into a, a tourist destination for for people to come and ski. Okay. Now, you mentioned uh, earlier at the onset that you were part of a, a group of uh, journalism students uh, from Ball State, and uh, you actually went to work. Did you cover mm-hmm. specific sports or personalities or the culture or a little bit of everything? 
a little bit of everything, a little bit less on the sports side just because uh, we were not credentialed. So all of the stories that we got was from uh, people that we had built relationships with here back in the state. So um, we have a local Olympian, Nick Gepper, who is from the state of Indiana, who we were, who was, uh, who medaled in slope style skiing. So we had a great, uh, great contact with him. We're able to get some interviews out that way, but. For the most part, it was a lot of the stories about what what was going on in Sochi and what was going on in Adler and the different lifestyle pieces. Um, interviewed a lot of people. One of my favorite stories that actually came out was a lot of people don't realize this, but Sochi has an incredibly popular uh, gay scene, actually. And they have this uh, cabaret club that is just fantastic. It puts on amazing shows. Packed. It's packed. It's sold out every night. And it's kind of a little hidden gem in Sochi because it's obviously not very well advertised, but it is a really, really great spot. Um, but, yeah, it was just, a, I mean, Sochi overall was just a really great, really great town, really great experience, and we were able to interview a lot of locals, shared a lot of information with us. They were very willing to talk to us, which I was surprised by. Did you get a chance to, you know, I know it would have been tough because of the security, um, but did you get a chance to go outside of Adler and um, and even a little bit outside of Sochi to explore the area and meet people, um, you enjoy culinary delights? Did you, did you get those excursion opportunities? We did. So, as I said, um, obviously the Olympics were south of a town called Adler, and Adler is very small, but there's the city center of Adler, which is where um, a lot of residential area is. There's actually also uh, a little uh, Ferris wheel in there. Um, we didn't make it quite into the city center, but it was cool because we got to explore a less traveled area. Um, they had just built this fantastic shopping center that overlooks the Black Sea that has a wine, uh, really great fancy wine bar, and then a great uh, restaurant that serves traditional shawarma, which is a Turkish uh, Turkish food, um, but it's uh, meat essentially wrapped in tortilla and served with all these really great ingredients. And um, even the McDonald's, Russian McDonald's, is a really cool experience because it's something <laughs> You can't really prepare yourself to walk in and not try to order a Big Mac, and no one, no one has any idea what you're saying. So, um, but no, we did. We got to go out. I mean, a lot of our the train that you you would take from Olympic Park to Sochi stops in a couple little uh, towns called Co- one in in particular is called Costas, and they have uh, really really great beaches. And their train station actually has an awesome Italian restaurant, so you can hop off the train, grab some food at the Italian restaurant, and then walk across the street and spend some time on the beach. A lot of people packed picnics and hung out on the beach all day. Mm. Um, it was there are great stops along the way between Adler and Sochi too. Just little towns that have little hidden gems. So, did you guys walk around with uh, your Russian English uh, dictionaries when you were ordering <laughs> and talking to people, or did you have an app that you used to communicate? Um, well, we actually had two Russian-speaking students go with us, um, but we obviously didn't get to be with them the entire time. So there was a day that we went into Sochi, and we were looking for um, a little restaurant that our friends had told us about that served really great dumplings. Got painfully lost in the city because we couldn't. We were holding the map upside down and ended up at this really, really great little cafe. Um, the, our server, bless her heart, spoke absolutely no English, but was just, just, so infatuated with us, it was so sweet, and we um, were obviously very clearly not Russian speaking. So she pointed to Borsh at the menu and said, "I think what you want." And we're like, no, "We'll try something." So we just pointed at something, and she brought it out, and it was so good. I could never tell you the name of that restaurant because we we just stumbled upon it. But uh, I mean, people there are really really kind, especially to the tourists, which um, I. 
I learned a little bit of Russian. I learned what I thought would be enough to get me by. I learned questions, but I couldn't understand the answers. But when, I mean, if you, if you try to speak the language, people are so, you kind of know what you're saying and smile. That's what I always did. And they were just like, oh, okay. Like, we know what you're trying to say. Um, but I would, I would recommend trying to learn a little bit. Um, we learned thank you. I mean, obviously thank you is huge. Um, hello. And then how much does it cost mm-hmm. for the big, the big three that we really tried to learn. Um, but I did have a Russian translator phone app on my phone, uh, which I probably should have used a little bit more. I went into it thinking I was going to be much more, uh, much more cultured in the language than I was. It was a little bit of a shock at first, but, um, even the people who couldn't understand what we were saying still did everything in their power to help us. So, well, I mean, it sounds like you uncovered a lot of hidden treasures and, you know, this was a, an incredible and possibly transformative experience for you. Was that your first time abroad? Yes, I had been um, to places like Mexico and then in the Caribbean here, but i never been overseas before. And we actually had a layover in Amsterdam, which was said to kind of prepped us for what we were going to see, uh, English speaking, obviously more so. Um, so it was kind of a nice segue into it, but, uh, we spent some time in Moscow as well. And it was, yeah, it was just incredible. I mean, we had heard very negative perceptions about what the locals would be like there and with security and everything like that. And I was very pleasantly surprised. Um, we, we had parents on the trip who thought about pulling their kids from actually going. And we're really glad that no one did that because it ended up being just a really tremendous experience. And, you know, I credit a lot of that to the location. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm, I'm glad that you, uh, the group, everyone really has returned uh, safely. And what what is your most memorable experience from mm-hmm. the trip? Um, well, one thing that really personally struck me, like I kind of mentioned earlier, uh, we had known Nick Gepper, so we went to the meddling ceremony in Olympic Park, and we watched the sunset over the Black Sea, which is just an amazing. They have some amazing sunrises and sunsets there. Um, but we were standing at the meddling ceremony, and it was the United States sweep. So all uh, all three places were won by Americans, and they, they played the national anthem. And a friend of mine put me on his shoulders, and I got to sing and hold the flag. And that's a it's a very humbling experience when you're surrounded by people who have no idea what you're saying, and that's like something that you've learned for as long as you can remember. And you're singing. It just the pride that you feel is something that you'd never really expect. So mm-hmm. that was, I mean, that was a really cool experience. The Russian, a uh, very tall Russian man leaned over to me and said, you know, Americans aren't such good singers. <laughs> <I'm> sorry. <laughs> I was like, that's a hard song. It's a hard song to sing. <laughs> Did you, you should have told them most entertainers who sing during the Super Bowl and other big games don't <laughs> sing. So. <laughs> yeah, he just, he was, he was very Friendly, very, very tall. So he, when I got put on the shoulders, he kind of chuckled and he uh, held the American flag for a little bit while I got up there. And he was, he was really great. I mean, that was kind of the impression that we got from everybody is everybody was just so excited for how their city was being represented. All they really wanted to do was talk and share that experience. So mm-hmm. I can't imagine anything different um, for the Paralympics or really in the in the future. I mean, the city, I, I'm, with all things considered, as far as the locals being. Uh, relocated for construction. I think that they're all very, very proud of what their city was able to accomplish, and I think they would really like to see it turn into that tourist attraction. Mm-hmm. Would you return to Sochi again? Oh, absolutely. Good. I tried to get our teacher to get us to go back for the Paralympics, but <laughs> it was, I mean, it was very positive. It was 
beautiful. I packed, uh, I didn't pack as well as I should have, so I would have loved uh, to pack differently and, and go back and really make sure you bring good walking shoes because I said it's a lot of walking and the streets aren't always, sidewalks aren't always uh, paved or you'll have to go on the street for a little bit. But I would just definitely recommend good walking shoes. But, no, overall it was uh, just a really, really great experience. And Sochi was beautiful. Adler was beautiful. Um, the Olympic Park is just breathtaking. It's something that you really have to see to really understand the scope of it. And hopefully they'll have uh, the amusement park in Olympic Village or in Olympic Park wasn't done when we were there. But I was really hoping to ride some Russian roller coasters. Oh, my. That's <laughs> taking, uh, I mean, on any roller coaster, really. It's kind of taking yeah. your life in your own hands. Um, having yeah. grown up in Cedar Point, which I'm sure you're familiar with. Um, yes. Yeah. <laughs> I guess that when you get yeah. to a certain age, roller coasters hmm, become <laughs> questionable. Thing, um, but I, I'm I'm so glad that you guys had a wonderful experience, and that you know, particularly for your first uh, trip abroad, your first cultural exchange. Um, I I applaud you guys. I applaud you for being open-minded, and I'm just very very happy that everyone came back um, with wonderful stories, and we look forward yeah. to reading some of those. If, you're ever so kind to share with uh, World Footprints. We'd love to have any of your stories. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you can also go online and check out all of the stories that we were able to produce at bsuatthegames.com. But um, I definitely think that anyone going there is just going to have a fabulous time. And all I would say is don't let the, don't let the media or anything you hear in the news deter you because uh, it was just a fantastic experience. Wonderful. Well, Taylor Imus is a junior with Ball State University in the School of Communications who has just returned from the Winter Olympic Games in Sochi, Russia. Thank you so much for sharing your experience with us and giving us some insights as to what first-time travelers can expect in Sochi. Yeah, thank you for having me. After the break, we'll speak to Charlie Hubner, Chief of the Paralympics for the U.S. Olympic Committee. The Paralympic movement in the United States is really in its infancy, even though we've been participating in games since 1960, um, just up until a few years ago, it was led by disability organizations, individual disability organizations that weren't even using the term Paralympic. Next, as World Footprints continues. Hi, my name is Eva. I'm from Fiji, and I love listening to World Footprints Radio. My father had prostate cancer. My grandfather, two great uncles, died from it. I wish I'd known about the family history, but it just wasn't talked about. My name's Lonnie. I had my prostate removed in May of 1995, and I'm still here. So there is life after prostate cancer. I'm living proof. One thing I would want to share with any man that thinks that he may have prostate cancer is number one, get it checked. Secondly, you have time after the diagnosis. Read, learn, go talk with your doctor, and make some decisions. Because knowledge is power. It cannot be understated, you know. Prostate cancer is the most common cancer among men in Michigan. If you've been diagnosed, talk with your health care provider about your options and visit prostatecancerdecision.org today. Sponsored by the Michigan Department of Community Health, the Michigan Cancer Consortium, and the Michigan Association of Broadcasters. Hi, my name is Emily. I'm from Korea. I love the Footprints Radio. You're listening to World Footprints Radio, awarded as the best travel audio podcast by the North American Travel Journalists Association. Here's Tanya and Ian Fitzpatrick. 
Welcome back to World Footprints. I'm Tanya Fitzpatrick. There's a lot of excitement surrounding the athletes and events. With the Sochi Paralympic Games opening, Charlie Hubner is Chief of the Paralympics for the U.S. Olympic Committee. He serves as the Senior Manager of Paralympic Programs across all USOC divisions. So as you can imagine, he is a very busy man. But we're very honored that Charlie is taking some time to spend with us. Charlie, welcome to World Footprints. Thank you for having us. Now, the Paralympic Games are meant to showcase an athlete's achievements and abilities and not their disabilities. And so with the increased media attention on the world stage for the Paralympic Games and the positive messaging uh, that the USOC has has espoused, we're still surprised to learn that some people still confuse the Paralympics with the Special Olympics. Why do you think that is, and what more can we do to educate people about the Paralympic Games? Well, the Paralympic movement in the United States is really in its infancy, even though we've been participating in games since 1960. Um, just up until a few years ago, it was led by disability organizations, individual disability organizations that weren't even using the term Paralympic. Um, so we're really focused on developing the Paralympic brand in the United States, you know, Special Olympics has been around since 1968, and they've consistently used the uh, the brand name Special Olympics. So obviously, it's more well known. Mm-hmm. But we're very much focused um, on building the brand in the United States by consistently using Paralympic terminology, getting more of our partners to activate and share great Paralympic stories, and uh, and then you know a, a great accomplishment like partnering with NBC to deliver more than 45 to 50 hours of Paralympic coverage um, at the Sochi Games. So it's a multifaceted strategy to build to build brand awareness. Mm-hmm. Now, as you mentioned, you know the, the the you touched on the history of the Paralympic Games, and 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 reading through the history is very interesting. Having started in 1948 as the International Wheelchair. Uh, games, um, but surprisingly, you know, there was a number of disabled athletes who actually competed in Olympic Games prior to 1948, starting with the German-American gymnast George Iser, who competed in 1904 with a prosthetic leg. And, you know, in 2012, we saw at the Lon- London Olympics, we saw another crossover athlete in Oscar uh, Pistorius. Are you seeing a greater trend of crossover athletes between the Olympic Games and Paralympics? Yeah, I think, you know, for any athlete to make the Olympic or Paralympic team, one, you have to have an incredible commitment. Uh, Two, you need great coaching. And three, you need incredible talent. Um, As we see the Paralympic movement grow around the world, um, we're seeing more and more incredible athletes coming to the system, get better coaching, have more funding support, and I think with that, you're going to see more athletes that are physically disabled compete for even Olympic team slots. Um, I was I was fortunate to be part of uh, three athletes' journeys back in 2000, uh, all visually impaired athletes. One of them made the Olympic team. The two others came very close. So uh, a lot of it had to do with they were incredible athletes in the first place. They, we aligned them with some great coaching, which they didn't necessarily have prior to that. And then we also invested more resources in their training, and I think with that, you're going to see more athletes compete for Olympic team slots. Mm-hmm. And, and you also, you know, there's also a crossover between the summer athletes and winter athletes um, as well that, that we've been seeing. Do you expect more of that going forward too? 
No, we don't. Um, and, and the reason being is, you know, again, there's a couple of very unique athletes that are just unbelievable um, that, that can do that crossover. But what we're seeing is the Paralympic movement continues to grow. It continues to become intensely competitive. And for an athlete to be successful, for an athlete, and our goal at the U.S. Olympic Committee is to get to the podium, not just get to the games. So for an athlete to be really successful and to get to the podium, um, because of the incredible competition that's increasing around the world, you're really going to need to focus on one sport. Um, and, and we're seeing that throughout. No doubt there are a couple of pretty incredible athletes that have the ability, both Olympic and Paralympic, to, uh, to pursue two different paths in the summer and winter games. But I don't think you're going to see that as a trend. It's just so difficult to make an Olympic team and get to the podium in one sport um, to try and do it in two. Um, you have to be a very, very special and talented athlete. Mm-hmm. Now, there's been a new sport added this year, snowboard cross competition. What is this sport? Yeah, it's, uh, it's um, you know, snowboard. It's, it's kind of like a snowboard downhill race. Um, really exciting. Uh, great thing about it is we are, uh, as a nation, we are incredibly competitive and hope to uh, hope to reach the podium numerous times in Sochi. So we're excited about the sport. It, it's no different than snowboard. snowboarding was added to the Olympic program. Um, you know, just a lot of energy, a lot of excitement, uh, a lot of interest from Americans and people all over the world, young and old. So we're really excited about the, about the sport being added to the program, and we're really excited that we have a very, very talented team of athletes. Indeed. Are there other sports that we might see emerging in coming Paralympic Games? Other new sports? I, I think it's really... Yeah, I think for both the summer and winter games, it's really important for the Paralympic movement. We've shared this internationally. It's the international movement that decides what sports get put on the program. But I think we have to be really cognizant of, is the current program very strong, first and foremost? And can we strengthen the current program um, to make sure it's sustainable and make sure people are, are tuning into it and make sure that people are investing in it? And then we need to look at the same things moving forward with additional sports down the road. Um, you know, there's a lot of interest of people adding sports to the Paralympic movement. Um, what we're really, what we're really emphasizing is let's make sure we're very smart about what sports we add, making sure those sports are going to be sustainable, popular around the world, and that people will tune into them. So I, I think it's a, it's a critical choice for the International Paralympic Committee to consider moving forward. Is that is that one of your roles to kind of vet uh, new sports on behalf of the um, Paralympic, the U.S. Paralympic athletes um, in your role as senior management of the Paralympic program? Well, we, we share our input along with 180-some-odd other nations with the International Paralympic Committee about sports that we think could be compelling to the program. So we're just we're one nation amongst many um, that internationally provides input to the International Paralympic Committee on sports that, that, you know, I think have an opportunity to be successful in the Paralympic program. And if we feel strongly that they can be successful, no doubt we're going to work um, with other countries around the world to try and make that happen. Now, with respect to the history of the Paralympic Games, it wasn't that long ago that the Paralympics uh, followed uh, within a few weeks uh, of the Olympic Games. Do you foresee a time perhaps when both the Olympics and Paralympic Games will be held concurrently? And uh, why or why not? And I, I don't believe, my personal opinion, in the near future, I don't see that happening. And, and one, of the, uh, one of the reasons is 
the logistics involved in both the Olympics and Paralympics to add another 4,000 athletes to 10,000 athletes, to add officials, to, uh, to have the accessibility components um, integrated into everything that's happening at the Olympic Games. It would, be, it would be a pretty significant logistical feat for any host nation and any host city mm-hmm. um, to combine the two. I mean, because you're, 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 you're having a pretty significant impact of people and transportation and housing on a potential Games. One way that could happen is if the program was reduced and there were less events, less athletes to allow for it, that, that would be a possibility. But I think what's most important right now in the Paralympic movement, uh, working with the International Olympic Committee and the U.S. Olympic Committee, is continue to build the Paralympic property. And like you asked about before, I mean, our brand research in 2002, there was less than 5% awareness about the Paralympics in the United States. Today we're north of 86% but we still have a lot of work to do to really make Americans understand what the Paralympics are, and that should be our priorities today, not not trying to integrate the Olympic and Paralympic Games internationally. Mm-hmm. I just thought that that would help, um, you know, uh, foster a greater understanding of the Paralympic Games if they were held uh, concurrently. You know, there, there's a two-week gap between the Olympics and the Paralympics, um, which, you know, is is from a media standpoint, uh, is quite broad. Um, so it was, you know, just a thought that we had. And it's one of the questions that we get a lot when we talk to people about the Paralympic Games. And, and part of the uh, thing that adds to their misunderstanding uh, of the Games, but I do understand the logistical challenges involved. Well, on your point right there, I mean, I was talking about athletes and officials. You add all the media from around the world that also come. I mean, you, you have a pretty big logistical challenge that would have to be addressed to, to combine the two games. But but your point is a great one because one of the things we've learned in the United States, and our research shows this, and we're, unique, we're a unique nation because we're an integrated Olympic and Paralympic committee. There's only four nations in the world that are like that that manage both programs, but we've learned that leveraging the Olympic brand allows us to grow more awareness about the Paralympics, and they really play well together. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and our partnership with NBC is a great example of that this year, where there's going to be more than $10 million worth of promotional time during the Olympic Games and leading up to the Paralympics on all NBC stations. So we're using that platform when 230 Americans are tuning in to the Olympic broadcast to educate, promote, and create awareness about the Paralympics. That's wonderful. Now, how excited are you uh, about Sochi uh, itself? Are, do you, what are, what's your feeling about the, the venue and the logistics uh, involved there? Well, I, I went last March and we looked at the facilities and I was pleasantly amazed and, and, and uh, very pleased about the, the compactness of the venues, the, the ease to get athletes from their housing to their competition sites, the ability for us to cater to our VIPs and donors and sponsors in a very simple manner. I mean, at the Paralympics, there's really two venue sites. Um, and with, with the train, um, and with the compactness of the, the venues, I mean, it's going to be really easy for fans, for our athletes, for our coaches to get and uh, access the facilities that we need to get to. So we're incredibly happy about that, and we think it's just going to be a great environment from a, from a logistics standpoint. And then our athletes really like the venues. I mean, we had a, we had a test event there with, with our Alpine and Nordic athletes, our sled hockey team has played there. They really like the snow. They really like the mountain they're going to be racing on. So we're, 
we're pleased, um, and, and we're looking forward to uh, to going to Sochi and competing in the Paralympic Games, and, and we're hoping to have some success. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Charlie. I know you're uh, multitasking like crazy right now, and I appreciate the, the time that you spent with us today on World Footprints. Well, I appreciate you taking the interest and uh, appreciate you talking about the Paralympics. Charlie Hubner is the chief of the Paralympic Games for the U.S. Olympic Committee. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. As we continue our coverage from Sochi at the start of the Paralympic Games, we'll introduce you to Patrick McDonald, a member of the USA Paralympic curling team after the break. The field is basically just a really long rectangle. And um, like in Bocce, you have a point of target that you have to get, uh, you know, all your balls closer to that than the other team. Next, as World Footprints continues. Hi, my name is Asutui Sarah. I am from Samoa, and I really love the World Footprints radio, and I love this family that talk to me like friends to me. World Footprints Radio is an award-winning broadcast and leader in socially conscious travel. Hosts Tanya and Ian Fitzpatrick bring you entertaining and informative interviews with well-known celebrities, newsmakers, authors and industry professionals. From environmental leaders like Bobby Kennedy Jr. and David Rockefeller Jr. to conservationists like actress Stephanie Powers and director Ken Burns. Tune in to hear travel journalism at its best. Visit unique places from around the world and stop by the worldfootprints.com website for comprehensive travel information including special daily travel deals. Did you know that World of Footprints has something for everyone? From great radio shows with celebrity guests and the latest travel news and information to dynamic travel deals and more. Make worldfootprints.com your first stop. Also, don't forget to visit the Travel Marketplace for sales on travel essentials and services. Hi, my name is Jeannie. I am from Fiji. I love listening to World Footprints Radio. And now, more of World Footprints Radio with your hosts, Tanya and Ian Fitzpatrick. Welcome back to World Footprints. I'm Tanya Fitzpatrick. Patrick McDonald grew up playing all kinds of sports and living many fun adventures. He maintained an active lifestyle and eventually sought to put his energy into serving his country. Patrick enlisted in the Army and was stationed in South Korea. When on one fateful ride back to base in 1991, his vehicle rolled and caused irreparable physical injury. The road to recovery was very rough, but Patrick channeled his positive energy into rehabilitation. And fast forward to present day, Patrick now holds the world record for the longest golf drive from a wheelchair at 358 yards, and he is once again part of the U.S. Paralympic wheelchair curling team. Patrick, thank you so much for joining us today on World Footprints. Hi, it's my pleasure. And thank you so much for your service to this country. Thank you. Now, yeah. now your your story, Patrick, is, is both heartbreaking but more so inspiring. Take us back to that November 15th, 1991 accident. What happened? Um, well, we were on our way back from patrol and um, 
we were we were almost back to, to camp. Uh, I was stationed at Camp Casey in uh, South Korea, um, and uh, we just the the weight of the vehicle. We made a turn, and the weight of the vehicle made the ground give away, um, which caused the vehicle to roll. An M113, um, basically, it's a it's a small personnel carrier. It's kind of like a, a like a Bradley or a small tank with no turret. And uh, we, uh, you know, we rolled, and uh, the driver jumped clear. And our supply box um, at the time wasn't—I uh, guess you could say—it wasn't properly fastened down. Uh, and I was sitting on it. And when we rolled, um, we rolled to my back. So if the vi- the direction that the vehicle was going was to my right and I was facing basically the, the driver's side of the vehicle and so when we rolled over we rolled to, towards the right which is my back and when we rolled it over um, the supply box came loose and uh, it was weighing um, I think it weighed in between 13 and 12 and 1300 pounds mm-hmm. um, and when we uh, rolled over uh, I got squished underneath it I broke C4-5 in my neck and T4 through L1 in my uh, in my back, um, and Private Gillum was there, and he pulled me out, and uh, they medevaced me to Seoul, the 121 Evac Hospital, uh, which is where I was admitted, and uh, pretty much got taken care of by military doctors, and um, mm. basically back then, when you, I don't know about now, but back then, um, when you injured your spine. Um, your spinal cord, I should say, uh, you're supposed to get a shot of some kind of steroid or something. Mm-hmm. can't think of the name of it, but um, I guess you're only supposed to get one shot. Uh, and the military doctor that I had decided that his shorthand was not read properly, I guess you could say, um, and I was getting two shots of those um, a day for the first uh, six weeks. Uh, why I was not medevaced back to the States is still a question on why that didn't happen, but it didn't. Mm-hmm. And so we're having those, sorry? No, I'm going to say, you know, and, and that, that medical basically mismanagement nearly cost you your life, correct? Um, yeah, basically. Uh, I should have been medevaced back to the States right away, um, but for some reason I wasn't. And with those shots um, that I was receiving uh, six weeks later on Christmas Eve, uh, because of the overdose of the steroids, I had a pulmonary embolism, and pretty much um, I did lose my life for almost five and a half minutes. Um, so uh, they they did their job, and they got me back, and uh, so all was good yeah. uh, at that point. But you also lost your memory, too, your childhood memory yeah. as well. Yeah, I, I, that was the major part of being overdosed on the steroids. Um, well, that didn't cause the memory loss. The, the flatlining did um, and swelling. Um, so, uh, but, you know, good family and uh, having a positive attitude and stuff. Um, and just looking at books and photographs and stuff like that, I've uh, gotten a lot of it back. Um, I still don't remember pretty much any of my military career other than um, reading the, the papers of in my file and stuff of where I was and where I was stationed the entire time uh, through my career. And, uh, and then, you know, I lived with my mom and dad after the injury and after we had to uh, fully get back to, you know, uh, finding what was 
good and what's bad uh, and how to do things uh, on my own. Uh, so that helped. And then, you know, close family, you know, uh, helped as well. And then, uh, you know, just came came to the uh, realization that, uh, you know, it, it's a path that everybody takes. And when you're following it, it has turns and it has Vs and forks and Ys and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, e- each day brings a, a new direction in the, the path that you follow. And mine was to, um, that day was turned uh, into uh, having a disability and uh, living in a wheelchair. Yeah, you know, I, I was talking to uh, a few people about you before uh, before this interview, and um, I'm just so amazed and inspired um, just by your positive attitude. And I, I know anyone listening, um, you know, your story is very, very inspiring. And and it, you know, it occurs to me that people give up having much lesser. Um, adversity and, and challenges people give up so easily what what has been your inspiration just to keep you um going forward and to to allow you to dig deeper because that's what you've really had to do just to to make it to the level of um acclaim that that you have right now on on the world uh, stage of sports um well there you go it's the it's the world stage it's um I've just, I've always been, you know, brought up um, to, uh, you know, negativity stagnates and positivity generates and, um, you know, life is the coolest gig in town and I get to do it every day. (laughs) I love that. Now, you know, and I, I um, you, you have a, a great love for a variety of sports, um, including one that uh, Ian and I love, golf. And, um, mm. you know, to, to hold the world record for the longest drive, honestly, Patrick, I couldn't even do half of that cheating. Uh, you know, it's amazing. <laughs> you know, 358 yards, that's amazing, the power in in your swing um and uh, you know do you do you use some of that skill it, with the um the sport of curling the the sport that you're participating in in the paralympic games is that do you kind of use the same skill set or is it a little bit different um it it, it varies i i think uh it's to me um and hopefully to uh, i'm correct when i say most uh, high line, uh, high level athletes. Um, you know there is no perfect golf swing. Um, I mean you have the funky knee sway of Jim Furyk. You have the big windmill the, uh, swing of John Daly, and then the smoothness of like David Love the Third and Tiger Woods. But um, you know, and they've all achieved you know greatness. Um, so I had a, you know a little bit of adversity and uh, different swing style from them uh, from being in a seated position, um, and I just I worked really hard at it. It's something that I fell in love with, and just wanted to be the best golfer I could, not just necessarily be the the best wheelchair golfer. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I played every day. Uh, Back when we were living in California, my wife's a school teacher, and um, every day that she'd go to work, I'd go to the golf course every day. Um, <laughs> and <laughs> I, I just loved it. So I found a, a good, comfortable swing that would maximize um, uh, golf in general. Mm-hmm. 
the and I was able to get it's more of a baseball swing. My when I try to hit long I actually the first part once I get set to the ball, the first part of me that moves is my head and shoulders and I have a big sway to the right and then the club starts coming back. I mean so I I do have a I guess you could say a John Daly swing, um, when I try to hit big. Um but it's just whatever you're comfortable doing doesn't matter what your physical ability is if you have a disability or if you're tall you're short you know mm-hmm. anything it's you know it's just if you love it go do it and do it with a passion well i'm i'm impressed i'm very very impressed now let's, let's talk about your uh your your winter sport um curling i kind of liken it when i think about curling and think about describing it um i kind of liken it to bocce ball on ice um and i know that that is so not correct but i can't think of other any other way to really describe the sport help me out here a little bit yeah um that's that's one of the uh i love bocce um (laughs) play during the summertime (laughs) uh but yeah it is i mean the field is basically just a really long rectangle and um, like in bocce, you have a point of target that you have to get, uh, you know, all your balls closer to that than the other team. Uh, and in curling, it's the same thing. It's kind of like on a, it's kind of like bocce on a giant shuffleboard. Uh-huh. Uh huh. You have a, you know, you have a 12 foot circle that's about a hundred and I believe it's a hundred and forty-ish, give or take, um, feet away. And the center of it is called the button. And your team has four people. Each of them throw two stones. And the other team has four people. And they also throw two stones each. So a total of 16 stones. And if you try to uh, put all uh, 16 stones in play um, and inside that 12-foot circle, then basically how the scoring goes is that you go to the very center of the 12-foot circle, which is the button, and then you start working your way out and starting count of stones um, of one team. So, like, say my team would have five stones in the 12-foot circle, but only one of them was closer to the button than the other team's one stone or two stones, then that would mean that I would only get one stone. So each stone of your team that is closer to the button than your opponents, then that's how you basically keep score. And then then we call it ends. Go ahead. No, the stones are quite heavy too, aren't they? Yes, they are uh, 11 and a half in 11 and a half inches in diameter. Um, And I think the, the handle from the ice, I think is about nine nine inches, give or take, eight to nine inches, um, and they are polished granite um, from Scotland and weigh about 42 pounds. Holy cow. Okay. And so and so, part of the goal, is it is it to knock an opponent's stone out of the circle? Yes. Mm-hmm. So if you have a stone that you can see that's on the opponent's side, um, and if you knock them out, Leaving your stones more st- more of your stones into that circle, um, then yes, there's a lot of uh, bumping, guarding, uh, protecting your stones that are closest to the button. Um, it's just, it's really strategic, and that's one of the reasons why I fell in love with it. It's 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 bocce 
meet shuffleboard with the strategic moves of chess. Yep. You know, my thoughts exactly. <laughs> I was going to throw the chess, <laughs> the chess angle in. How did you get introduced to the sport of curling? Um, well, in the Winter Paralympics um, in 08, 09, leading up to Vancouver, there was only five uh, Winter Paralympic sports. Um, and uh, out of those five, um, I'm not a big hockey fan, so sledge hockey didn't really want to get involved in that. Um, you have Nordic and uh, uh, Alpine skiing, and uh, I'm, I'm a little—I'm uh, out of my prime in skiing. I, I still ski, but I'm out of my prime. Of some of these younger ones, uh, they're just going way too fast down the mountain. <laughs> uh, and in biathlon, you've got cross-country skiing and shooting, which I enjoy shooting, um, which I'm going to hopefully attempt to uh, go for 2016 in Rio for the shooting team, mm-hmm. um, but, but but the cross-country skiing, not really the hip on cross-country, so um, which pretty much just led me to curling, and I've always seen it on TV, and it's, it's one of those things I like. Not only is it a physical game, but it's also a thinker's game, mm-hmm. um, and I, 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 like, uh, I like strategy, and, um, you know, I love chess. I haven't played it in years, but I do like it, but anything that you have to – Outthink your opponent is always a, a, you know, a good sport that to, uh, to play. Mm-hmm. That just uh, reflects the competitive side of you. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. And yeah. I, I do hope we see you in Rio in in 2016. I, I know that you're training uh, to join the the shooting team, uh, and so I look forward to that possibility and having a discussion with you about um, that sport. Now. I have, yeah, anytime. Yeah, now you've uh, you've been to Sochi before. Um, yeah. How much opportunity when you were there did you have to see the area and meet the local people and just kind of immerse yourself in uh, culture? I know it's difficult to do sometimes when you're uh, an athlete because you're guarded. Uh, but did you have those opportunities before? Um, yeah, when we were there in February for the World Championships, um, we got to uh, uh, compete in the uh, venue that the Olympians are getting ready to start this weekend, and we got a chance to see all of the buildings uh, in the Olympic area, and the venue buildings pretty much were done at that point, but the rest of it was pretty much still just nothing but construction um, in that part of Adler. Adler is kind of like a, it's kind of like a Los Angeles, uh, it would be Sochi and Anaheim would be Adler. It's just, Mm. it's, it's the Sochi area. The town of Sochi is actually about 45 minutes to an hour away from where everything is. Um, we did get to go in to Sochi once um, and for one day and sightsee and uh, go shopping. And it, it's just a major big town, just like anything over here. Um, people are doing everything. And, you know, it, it was good to talk to them and... Uh, Pretty much everything got lost in translation. Mm-hmm. Uh, if, if we were if we were out sightseeing um, away from the hotel that we were at, uh, we had translators and tour guides and stuff, and uh, the people were great. Uh, it just yeah, it, it pretty much just got lost in translation. And uh, but they had everything that we have here, and 
the town was beautiful, palm trees, the Black Sea uh, was amazing. It's it, it's an amazing area. Is there anything in particular you're looking forward to in Sochi? Other than uh, standing on the platform at the uh, at the end of your uh, competition, is there anything else in particular you're looking forward to? Just representing my country um, the best I can. As you know, I, I feel that I'm a a, a good uh, role model for uh, any citizen, any anybody in the United States. It's just how you represent yourself and the country that you live in. I get to do it. You know, I did it in the military years ago, and I did it in 2010 in Vancouver, and now I get to do it again. And, um, I'm looking forward to doing my best, and uh, we've become pretty good friends with a handful of the countries that we compete against. Uh, all the teams that are going to be there this year uh, were at the World Championships back in February, so mm-hmm. uh, good competition and just, you know, uh, represent my country the best I can, oh. I guess is what I'm looking forward to the most. Well, Patrick will be there uh, cheering you on, and um, we look forward to uh, to seeing you uh, take home the gold again this year as you did, uh, I think, in Vancouver, you guys took the gold too, right? No, we missed out on the bronze. Uh-huh. Uh, we played Sweden in the bronze medal match, and uh, we came up about an inch short on the last rock okay. in the last end. So, well, I look- um, but we have played for medals, and we've been playing. We've been playing for a podium spot since uh, since 2010, and every world championship mm-hmm. since then, we've been uh, really close. And we have a new team, so. Uh, it's strong. I'm so proud of these guys. This is probably the strongest team I've been on uh, since I've got involved with uh, wheelchair curling, and I'm really excited to get over there. Uh, these guys have been putting in a lot of hard work, and I think we're ready. All right. Well, we look forward to seeing you uh, indeed in, in, in Sochi, and thank you so much uh, for joining us today. Patrick McDonald. Thank you for having me. Yeah, Patrick McDonald is a member of the 2014 U.S. Paralympic uh, wheelchair curling team. Thank you so much. Thank you, and just you know, follow me on Facebook and Twitter, and uh, I'll be keeping everybody updated. What's your handle at Patrick McDonald, or what's your Twitter handle? Ooh, Twitter handle. I got I got a couple of them at U.S. Curling and uh, at Just Golfing. <laughs> of course, just golfing. Okay. I got I to keep my golf thing going. You know, I, I still love golf, and uh, you know, hopefully that'll be a Paralympic sport, and you know, in, in a couple of Olympics, and then I can go and try to do that. There you go. <laughs> All right, Patrick. Thank you so much. Thank you, guys. Thank you so much for joining us for the first of our shows from the Paralympic Games in Sochi, Russia. Join us at worldfootprint.com as we continue to share Paralympic highlights